0: This episode of W-I-N-I-F-R-E-D, the podcast, is unlike any other episode I have ever done. I feel so fortunate to have had an opportunity to sit down and interview Sparkle Lindsay, to talk to her about her background and talk to her about the amazing work that she does. I do want to begin this episode by saying if you or somebody you know is struggling with addiction there is help out there there are people out there that will show up um and and help you through your situation people that will be there physically for you there are people that you can reach out to on a a hotline you know if you don't know what to do there are all types of free resources and I will be sure uh, to include information about Sparkle Lindsay and the things that she does, uh, along with other resources, free resources that can be utilized for people who struggle with addiction. You know, there are a lot of people in this world who at one point or another have battled with addiction, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sex. I mean, there's... And those are the more, I guess, popularized uh, addictions. But there's so many addictions, you know, uh, gambling addictions. (laughs) There's so many things that can really just overpower people and and control uh, their lives. And so I just wanted to let you know, you who's listening right now, wherever you are, that there is help out there. You should never give up on trying to get better or help somebody get better you should never give up on a person because they struggle with what they struggle with so i'm going to go ahead and get into this episode i really hope you can gain something from it it really did just really make me feel just so grateful and so blessed uh to one even know Sparkle. (laughs) Um, And then two, just to know that there are people out here doing this incredible work. I was a little familiar with what a peer support specialist uh, was prior to meeting Sparkle. I actually worked at a nonprofit and they had recovery counselors and they specialized in that area. So I will learn about a lot of different things and I, I just thought it was incredible work So to see Sparkle and that she has her own business and understand the things that she survived, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. So I'm not going to hold you up anymore with this intro. Please listen to this, enjoy it, share it, go check out Sparkle and all that she's doing and just take care, take care of yourselves. All right, here we go. Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of W I N I F R E D, the podcast. I'm so stoked for this guest, Sparkle Lindsay. Um, so many questions I have, so many questions because I was doing some research, and there were things that I saw like on your, like your LinkedIn, and I was looking at YouTube videos and different things. I'm like, wow, okay. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware um, of all all the great things. Um, you know, that that you've done and you know, parts of your story. So I'm going to jump right on in and I'm actually going to ask you to introduce yourself. Like if you ran into somebody on the street and they say, you know, who
1: are you? What do you do? How would you answer that? Uh, well, my name is Sparkle Lindsay. I'm the oldest of five. I have three brothers and a sister and I am the CEO and founder of Sparkle LLC The light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I am a recovery coach, a a certified recovery coach in alcohol and addiction. Uh, I also am a life coach as well. So um, I go around helping people help themselves figure out where they fit in their puzzle through any type of addiction or uh, well-being or wellness that people may need. So it's kind of what I do in a nutshell.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Amazing. So I'm actually want, I actually want to journey back a little bit. Mm -hmm. I like to ask guests, you know, a little bit about their, their upbringing. So can you tell me a little bit about your hometown um, in the household that you were raised in, maybe some of the the values and just kind of how your, your family, um, family life was?
1: You know, uh, I grew up with uh, my father, he's actually a Reiki master. and um, I grew up with him, and my five siblings, along with my mother, uh, we are very close. We still are very close. And uh, we stuck by, you know having dinner at the dinner table and uh, talking about things that bothered us, you know, being able to get things out and communicate clearly with one another. If there were issues, problems, if we were dealing with stuff at school, Uh, we were very very you know we grew up very close and uh, till now all the way through now till you know being 36 we have never ever lost that bond we're very very close so um, we did a lot of stuff we played sports Um, obviously I played sports uh, all the way through my a good portion of my life till I was about 24 25 and uh, my dad was there my mother was there you know my brothers and sisters watched me get full-ride scholarships to play sports and uh, full-ride scholarships for academics. And they followed suit.
0: Mm. And so
1: all of us have found a way to get our, uh, you know, get our degrees and also find ways to play our sports. Um, Obviously my sister is a head volleyball coach now at Ada, Oklahoma. Um, I played college basketball for Colorado Mesa University here in, in uh, Colorado, and my brother, he's a Denver Bronco, plays for the Denver Broncos uh, currently. And my brother, my other baby brother, played for Colorado or uh, University of Northern Colorado. And the, the baby, baby brother who just turned 22, he actually uh, played at CSU Pueblo and he is still in school. So um, with all of us, we have found a way to work together to maintain, stay successful, and stay level headed to an extent but we've also learned to work through and fight through any obstacles we may have to overcome and we've done it together. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's, <laughs> that's incredible.
0: Um, well, you know, salute um, to all of you, that, that's beautiful. I love that your family is close and that you guys have, you know, maintained those bonds. Um, and I love to hear that, you know, you all are, are successful um, in whatever you guys are doing. So. That is fantastic, and I love to hear it. Now, you did say your father is a, did you say Reiki master? I didn't want to
1: interrupt, but what is that? Now, Reiki is, uh, he has the gift of being able to help people heal themselves, okay? So people who deal with Reiki, they are not healers, but they are used as vessels for healing. And, um, a lot of it goes down to meditation and kind of allowing yourself to uh, channel through so use people's guides to heal them through you and so my dad is that vessel for that so he's he was also my taekwondo instructor i am a black belt in taekwondo so he really took um the work of reiki which is from way way back in the day you know a chinese you know, thing, and uh, he's really studied it. And so as he's retired now, he has became his own Reiki master and he Reiki's people on a regular who are wanting to heal themselves from certain things, whether it's addiction, whether it's um, maybe an autoimmune, um, just anything. It's really helpful. A lot of people are jumping into it now, recovery wise, just to try something different with themselves wow
0: I, I learned something new today i am gonna go ahead and, and Google. You're quiet
1: over there girl <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh-huh, i'm gonna just google uh reiki master once we get off the podcast uh-huh. yeah. that's very fascinating um,
1: yes my dad has a wonderful website it's uh reiki Lindsay's or Lindsay's reiki and uh it just went up so we we put that up there and he, he does sessions he does do sessions through zoom sometimes for people And he's constantly raking each of his children, uh, wherever we're at with whatever we're doing just to help us keep grounded, you know, um, and to help us know that he's there with us. We, we know that I always know that when he's praying, praying for me and doing those things, I can feel it, you know?
0: Mm, Wow. Wow. I know some listeners are probably like, okay, going to look that up as well. So that's very cool. Very cool. Um, so as a child, well, it's clear that, you know, you must've had, you know, very big goals and kind of known, I guess, what you maybe wanted um, out of life. Maybe, I don't want to assume, cause you know, you're getting full ride scholarships. You know, normally those um, children and young adults are very like driven um, and somewhat aware of their purpose. As a child, what was your ideal career?
1: Uh, My ideal career, I wanted to either be a WNBA basketball player um, or I wanted to be a influential speaker. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, And I, I, you know, wherever I was to be taken, I just wanted to make sure that um, if I did become a basketball player, I always had something to fall back on. Um, I wanted to have all elements of being able to do whatever I could in my life, um, no matter what. So, whatever I was going to come, but my dad always made the comments to us you know, you played the cards that are dealt for you. So, what you may want to be may not be anything close to what you become later on in your journey, you know. And little did I know that that would happen, but it has been a wonderful journey for me uh, right now. And I, wouldn't have never thought any of it would have happened the way it has. So um, yeah, I, I think it's it's safe to say that uh, now I'm just playing the cards that are dealt and allowing the universe to let happen what's gonna happen.
0: <laughs> I love that you're dropping uh, major gems because I know that a lot of people and you know specifically some of my guests on the podcast Um, You know, I've had an author, a children's book author, and Mm -hmm. I was talking to him about, you know, what, like, if he grew up wanting to be an author, or is that something he has always aspired to be? Was he always a great writer? And he was just kind of like, no, (laughs) like, it just kind (laughs) of came about to where he was. You know, his son had asked him a question and he couldn't find the resources and then he created a book and so much more amazing, um, amazing things have come from that. So it's it's amazing that, you know, sometimes we we have one view or idea and then like you said, things just kind of come together on their own. Um,
1: yes. So
0: mm-hmm. I love that. So I was looking, I was snooping on your LinkedIn <laughs> profile. Look
1: <Get> away, girl. <laughs>
0: I was like, let me see what's going on here. And I saw a couple different things. And I was like, okay, I see. Um, I saw that you studied mass communication. Um, I saw that you have experience in some HR leadership. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the HR? Cause I'm an HR head right now. Uh, listeners probably know that that's what I'm studying. So I was like, oh, okay, she did some HR. How was that for you?
1: Well, so um, I was a an HR manager for three big box companies for 13 years, actually. Yeah. And um, I started out at like age, maybe 24, I want to say, um, learning every element at Kohl's uh, retail store, I, I learning every element of each role in the store. And I found that As I got through the first year of it, uh, HR was my place to be. And um, ultimately, I took it by storm. I learned a lot about my people. And one of the greatest uh, store managers I had, um, Amy Bryant, she told me, Sparkle, you just remember, as you get going in this corporate America world as an executive, uh, remember, if you don't have your people, You don't have anything. And I took that to heart, you know, I really took that to heart. And uh, I knew that if I could work with my people and through my people to help them be successful, that wherever they went or wherever I went within the company, everything was gonna be okay because they knew that I trusted it in them and they knew I was gonna do the best thing and have the greatest intentions for them. So I learned that. My first uh, first year, and then uh, I was picked to open uh, a new store as, as a manager and training in Colorado. So I opened a new store, and uh, from there I moved to about moved to four or five different stores, helping fix stores and learn about the the way it works through apparel, through the freight process in the back room, to everything. I was an executive for all of it. Um, And then before you know it, I was asked to become a remodel coordinator in San Antonio, where I had to learn about, I think it was 350 people's skill sets in less than two weeks and run a remodel overnight, 18 hour overnights in a different state. And uh, sure enough, we became number one of 20 stores. Uh, But a lot of that came from me allowing people to know their strengths and playing to their strengths and helping them understand that they own their own development. And uh, little did I know that would help me with what I do now in my career. Um, I was the fixer, you know, that person who could come in and notice that, you know, customer service scores or some of our associates were unhappy and uh, I could come in and really see exactly where the issue was. And a lot of it was because we weren't taking care of our people, you know? And so being able to show other executives how to take care of people really put me on the map as a HR advocate. And I went on from Kohl's to JC Penney's running their whole HR issue or problem as well because they were tenured. So they had been around for 114 years when I got there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I had to like reinvent everything. You know, they're paying it forward and learning how to appreciate your associates when they come in and learning how to, te- you know, give kudos where kudos is supposed to be given, right?
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of
1: that, uh, pennies didn't really know anymore. They were still doing things the older way. You know, and then next thing you know, I jumped into the innovative King Supers. I was laid off from pennies, but I jumped into King Supers, which is Kroger, you know, a good portion of that. And boy, I jumped into a HR world that was so innovative that I was pumped and ready to go. And uh, I learned so much from them but I knew a lot at that point from running remodels and just really working with people and I really found I enjoyed it and so from there I knew that the HR piece was me. What I didn't know you know was the corporate America piece at that time all the way through from 24 till you know I decided to leave and the time that I spent fixing stores and fixing everything I really didn't give myself any time. It wasn't fixing me, Mm. you know, and um, in corporate America and being in HR, it's important to be able to give yourself that work-life balance and that time to be away from everything as well so that you don't lose yourself in just fixing everything. So um, ultimately, uh, it had to come to an end for me. And um, a lot of that is where, I had started to drink, you know, I was so busy, so worried about fixing everything and helping everybody and doing everything else that I really, really got caught up in drinking. You know, I'm not married and I don't have kids. So the money was rolling in and I thought partying was fun when I had time off because we didn't get a lot of time off, you know, or or let me put it this way. I didn't set boundaries to make sure I got the right time off that I should have.
0: Wow. Wow. A lot of things that you touched on just kind of made my my heart leap for joy. Just you know, talking about how important it is to treat people, you know, treat people right, to take care of people. That's definitely one of the major things that pushed me in the direction of human resources. Um, just to see how toxic some workplaces are, um, how people are looked at as just numbers. You know, it's all about the numbers. It's all about having a body in a chair. You know, but these are these are people and these people have lives outside of work um and there's it's it's just so much so much so I I thank you for you know realizing that and and walking in that with that you know as part of your your mission um so whew, beautifully beautifully said <laughs> if I had a bell I would be or a tambourine how about that <laughs> you know Winifred? people
1: deserve to be uh, appreciated Okay, and I think, uh, you know, there was a podcast I was just listening to today where there was a lady talking about how we treat people in the workplace, you know, and everybody always says happy associates, happy customers. Right. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if you can really give yourself the time to listen to the people who work for you, it will make them feel like they are the world and they are the world to you. And the reason why is because why isn't everybody the world to you? Everybody's got a story, right? So when you hear it and you're able to help people be the best they can be by what they feel they're great at, you see a lot of great things happen. And I mean, I went into a store. I remember we were 888 in the company and every associate was so upset. They were just not happy, you know, and uh, we got, I got to Willen and Dylan and I sat down and I said, okay, everybody write down your strengths. You know, I I went to my department managers, everybody write down your strengths. So everybody's writing down their strengths. And I said, now pass your strengths to the person to the right of you. So they started passing them around to each other and they realized that some people had strengths that were like, and some that were very different. I said, so now what we're gonna do is we're gonna take your strengths and we're gonna make them even better. We're not gonna look at what you're not good at. Why are we gonna do that? (laughs) We're gonna look at what you're great at. And then what somebody else may be great at, we can learn from each other and you guys can own your own development and move forward how you would like. I will be here to walk alongside you while that happens. And so as we got going, before you know it, about a year and a half, we looked up and we went from 888 in the company to number eight in the company. And that store till this day, eight years ago, this day is still number eight in the company with the same people who have just moved up, but they have helped each other all the way through. So the only thing it took is for one person to say, I believe in you. Let's go get this. Let's do it. And that's what the type of leader uh, I enjoyed being. And uh, I still enjoy being to this day. Go get it and make sure the people around you know that you support them and you guys go together and be a force to be reckoned with and see the results and be happy about them later. You know,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. absolutely. I Ah, I just, it's very refreshing to hear, um, because not everybody has that, has that perspective. You know, there are some people who will look at a person who may be grouchy, or maybe there are some employee relations issues and they will look at that as, okay, let's get, get rid of the problem person Mm -hmm. or, you know, let's silence this person, um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so unfortunate because, you know, just like you expressed, it actually helps the organization when you address things head on, you know, yep. when you have those conversations, when you, you know, talk about those strengths and, and develop your employees and create, you know, a healthy, thriving work culture. So mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then another thing that you had said, you were talking about being the fixer. Um, yeah. and you know, the toll that that can really, can really take on a person because a lot of people will look at the person that's doing all the fixing, like, oh, they got it all together. You know, it's a breeze for them and not really look at them as a person. They just kind of look at them as the fixer upper, you know? Yeah. Um, so ooh, that is a word. I know
1: some people are listening, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, the fixer. All right, the fixer is where everything about my journey um, has taken, uh, just has been lifted. It has been uh, lifted vibration for me. Um, I used to make everybody's stuff, my stuff. Mm. And um, ultimately um, as a black woman, the strong black woman syndrome is a wonderful thing. I am a strong black woman, but I like to refer to myself as a woman of many strengths. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why is because as I was walking that strong black woman syndrome, like walking down there by myself with everybody else's stuff on my shoulders, um, it really took a toll on me. And um, a lot of people were like, Sparkle's strong enough, she could do it. She's super woman. Okay. Well, Winifred, there's no such thing as a superwoman. So at this point, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I am human, just like anybody else. And um, even being a big sister, you know, my my brothers and sisters, they said, you are our world. The world is huge. I can't be anybody's world. (laughs) So being completely honest with people around you and letting you know that, hey, I'm here to help you, you know, but I'm not here to fix you okay, you have to fix you. And ultimately, uh, being able to accept other people's journey and other people fixing themselves is a big practice for me. And I've had to learn to let go of that control and let people be who they want to be. Because if I didn't, it was going to take me under, you know, it was really going to take me under. And uh, I now know that I'm there and I'm there to support my clients. I'm there to support people who need it, but I am not there to do the work for them. you know. And I'm there to walk with them as they find and walk through their journey to be better for them. And I find that so less stressful. I'm so excited each day when I wake up, I'm not worried about who did this or who didn't do that. you know. I work for myself. So it's just been a way where I had to make some changes in my life for myself to move forward and to focus on what I really, truly wanted to do. And that mission was to help people help themselves and find out where they fit in their puzzle. And I had to do I had to work on me first before I could do any of that. Mm.
0: Mm. Okay, so. You are a certified peer support specialist. Yes. Um, so tell me a bit about the the different things that you learn um, in the certification uh, certification process. Like, what are the different? I guess, what are the different? Like, what's the subject matter?
1: Um, mm-hmm
0: if you could kind of just maybe summarize the different things for anyone who may be interested um, and feel like this may be their calling as well, what can they expect from uh, the program? I'm sure there's
1: maybe variations to the program, but you can just kind of talk about yours. Uh, So the program is, um, I am a peer support specialist, a certified recovery coach, okay? So during my journey, I also picked up addiction alcohol and addiction. Okay. So I am a year and 10 months sober, um, from alcohol and addiction. Yeah. Yeah. I got to do <laughs> <one> it. <right here. laughs> I'm close to two years sober. And I can tell you that, um, once again, the fixer element, it really, really took a toll on me, but I understood my why, like why do I drink? Why was I using? What was I doing? Why was I used in love with this cocaine stuff? You know, um, I also, before I could become a recovery coach, you know, you have to have some lived experience in addiction. Um, I now train recovery coaches um, across the globe uh, with a wonderful program that will help you become nationally certified. So I am a nationally certified recovery coach that goes around helping people with not just alcohol and addiction, but all addictions, um, whether it's workaholic, if it's an eating disorder, whatever it may be, um, that's kind of what I tackle with a person. But the cool part about it is that you learn that you can be sober and you can help others help themselves be sober as well. But you have to be solid within your own recovery in order to know that you're gonna help take somebody else's life on as well. So I basically, uh, when I went to treatment, um, I hadn't cried in about 13 years, Winifred. I didn't cry in, for 13 years. And I had a lot of trauma that happened to me. And uh, when I broke down and decided to go to treatment and get a therapist, I finally cried. And I had so much that I cried for because I was holding on to everything, trying to fix everybody else but me. And uh, as soon as I let that and released the, the crying and doing all of that, I found that I didn't want to work for corporate America anymore. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make my own goals and uh, help other people find out where they fit and find their purpose. You know, right after I got started getting sober. And uh, then I started with a nonprofit organization. I had to start all over again. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I started with a nonprofit organization, just making telephone recovery support calls to people who were in addiction, dealing with addiction. And I had so much fun communicating and uplifting people. And I was like, this is amazing. I got to do this for a profession. I just have to do it. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they gave me the certification. I started doing it. I took three classes for it and then went through 500 hours of work um, experience, trying to learn how to work with people who are in addiction, all of those things, uh, and then became uh, nationally licensed uh, about eight, seven or eight months ago. Um, But the cool part about it is that I had done so much work with people in HR already, that I went from helping people own their own development to helping people own their own recovery. And um, instead of helping people figure out where they fit in the company's puzzle, I went to helping people figure out where they fit in their own puzzle. And so it was like everything just went right where it needed to be right now at this moment while I'm talking to you. And every bit of my journey had to happen for me to feel the happiness I feel from within right now. And then, I got an opportunity to actually work with so many people that I got to hear their stories. I got have been able to walk alongside them while they fight through their journey, crawl out of the darkest, darkest holes they've ever been in and take their life back. And I think that right there is enough to keep me sober daily mm. and it's also enough To let me know that what I'm doing has purpose and it makes me happy, you know, and ultimately it's not about any money. It's not about any of that because we only have today, you know, and it it just becomes so much more, I'm so much more grateful for the things that I had to let go of in order to actually find the things that I am falling in love with, you know, so Mm -hmm. Um, I recommend anybody that wants to become a recovery coach. I am available, you know, on all of my platforms of social media. I do train people and then also I recovery coach and walk alongside anyone that needs that as well. And um, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. It really is.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. So in that kind of industry, you know, words make such a huge difference. Um, so can you tell me about how you, I guess, assess different situations so that you know the right thing to say? Because sometimes when people are going through those dark periods, you know, yeah. and people want to console them or comfort them, and they can say the wrong thing and really set yeah. them off. So how, yeah. how do you approach different situations?
1: Well, see, the issue comes down to a lot of people like to tell people what they need to do. Yeah, once again. I'm not here to fix anyone. <laughs> I I'm working on fixing me, right? Mm-hmm. So, the best part about anything that we do is to deep listen, okay? The first time I ever meet somebody and they are they could be dope sick, you know, they could be like I need my next hit, I'm on heroin, whatever it is. I don't say anything. I just sit there and listen Mm. and the reason why is because it's a basic essential and i promised myself i would practice being a better listener because usually when you listen you get exactly what you need for that person at that time in the moment Mm. because you are lost in what they're saying and you can help them that way so that is the first thing i do it also helps me meet people where they're at, meaning it doesn't matter what is going on in their life. If I can hear their story, I can be in it with them. I can listen and I can meet them where they're at. No judgment, nothing. It's just us, me and them communicating. At that point, that makes that person in front of you feel so valued. And it makes people, that person feel like, that, you, they, that they or that you want to hear them. And from there, all of the blockages come down. But it's a matter of being able to allow people to tell you where they're at and you holding space for them to do that. Um, And from there, you'd just be surprised. There's a lot of things you hear. And uh, for me, I know a lot of the resources that are around, obviously, a recovery coach is a resource guru. So then, when I hear their story, I'm able to give them five or six different resources right then and there that can help them start taking their life back right away Um, and make sure that they pick what resources they want not tell them which ones. I give them a whole bunch and they pick from it. And then we help them complete their own recovery package that they feel is gonna work for them. Um, and most of the time, when people finally start to use those resources, they actually start to see them, their success in it. And that's when people start feeling that itch to take their life back and keep moving forward. But they did it, not you no one, themselves, they picked their package, they made it happen, and the only thing their recovery coach did was walk with them while they did it and be there to help guide if they needed it. But they were the reason why. Mm,
0: mm, mm. Do you, did have you noticed there has been, or I would say in your own observation um, with Sparkle LLC, Do you feel like since the pandemic, there's been a growing need for peer support specialists? You know, I know that there's definitely been a lot of depression, even more so, you know, there's always been depression, but definitely the pandemic has, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of people kind of lost, stressed out, you know, going to drinking, going to drugs. Um, Do you feel like it has
1: risen during the pandemic or is it kind of steady? You know, the craziest thing is, is a lot of the clients that I worked with before the pandemic that were dealing with um, alcohol and addiction. See, what a lot of people don't realize is that I also uh, specialize in the mental health and the substance use, okay? Because usually when I'm working with someone, I find that it's actually not the alcohol and addiction that's the problem. It's usually a mental health element that someone didn't know they had that is affecting them. So, you know, I've had clients that have came in and they have meth as an addiction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, ultimately later on before I always make sure that a client goes and gets a psyche valve because meth can also stem with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia So if you've got somebody that's got a mental health ailment and you're trying to help them with alcohol and addiction, right? Mm -hmm. If they get the alcohol and addiction fixed and they stop using, that's great. But what if they have certain medicines they're supposed to be taken to stay stable so that they don't use, right? right? We have to know all of those things. That's why it's so important to listen, because you don't want somebody to go ten months being sober and all of a sudden they go manic because they're bipolar and no one knew it, mm-hmm. and then before you know it, you know they have a reoccurrence and they're back out on the streets, right? Yeah. So um, it's really, really important to uh, have both of those elements there, and it's also a, a very, very there's a specialty to it. There's an art to recovery coaching, and I don't think a lot of people always quite understand that but the difference is is that it there's there's literally you're sitting in someone's messy messy situation so it's very important to be able to ground yourself and be able to stick with you know protecting your energy and uh you know making sure that you're on your pathway to recovery so that there's nothing that sucks you in you know mm-hmm. um- yeah So,
0: using myself as an example, I am such an empath, (laughs) and I work in the ER. (laughs) I work in the ER some weekend, and, you know, seeing so many people, whether it's the patients who are suffering, Um, are in pain or sick or whatever they're going through. And then seeing the families who are coming in and also suffering and stressed out, you know, people come in alive and don't make it out alive sometimes, you know. Some people are barely holding on. Some people come on the ambulance and it's already, you know, lights out. Um, So sometimes I feel it can take a toll and I try not to carry... um, some of those Mm -hmm. some of those energies back home with me if that makes sense I can only imagine you know in your industry as as fulfilling as it is you know there's got to be those moments where it it gets really heavy are there any suggestions or tips that you have for kind of maintaining your peace through those really tough tough cases
1: yes so (laughs) when I was coming into my uh enlightenment uh, my spiritual awakening during my me letting go of blockages and opening up my heart chakra uh, to surrender and find compassion for myself and others I found my empath and I realized that when I was a little kid I had empath and it scared me so I never really said anything about it Mm -hmm. and uh, so I was in the middle I might have been I think I was 10 months sober at the time Winifred and I uh (laughs) and I was at a stoplight okay and all of a sudden I felt this feeling that made me just like want to cry like I was bawling and I'm looking around like but this isn't my tears like I'm not what's going on yep (laughs) and I look over and there's this man at the bus stop and he is crying so hard and I'm looking around like maybe I need to go back to my therapist because some things don't seem right. You know, <laughs> Yeah. So when I went to her, she gave me this book called The Survival Kit to an Empath. Hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, it has three, three, uh, three books to it. And uh, I, I live and die by it. I read that thing nonstop. Now, the reason why is because what you're talking about is different energies. Okay, so energy is powerful. right, and anything can swoop right in and take that energy away from you, or it can make you extremely exhausted. So I'm bet you you're coming home from the hospital and you might be extremely exhausted because you are an empath. So I've done a lot of work around protecting my energy and I've done a lot of vision work. So a lot of vision meditations where I visualize a diamond. Um, in a white and gold diamond around me. And I make it where the bottom of the diamond is visioned inside of the ground for groundedness. Okay. And then I make sure the top is open to source. That's what I call it, to spirit. Mm -hmm. And from there, I put pink around it in my, you know, in my thoughts and that's for unconditional love, and then I picture divine light coming in. Okay, so this for me, especially when I'm in like somebody's on heroin and they might be, um, ha- they might be hearing voices and they they don't know it, right? And I don't know it, and I'm sitting in it. I try to make sure that I protect my energy as much as possible. Other things is that when stuff starts to affect you a little bit, once again, I I said it before, your five senses, sitting with somebody who has that, you can still sit with them, but focus on your five senses. What are you smelling? What do you hear? That way you can still be there for that person if they're grieving or, you know, if they are having high anxiety, but you're not letting any of it affect you. Now, this is a huge practice and it is um, not easy for a lot of people to do. So um, it's important too that as you when you get home, make sure that you get out of those clothes. You know, um, I usually do a lot of uh, sage and cedar spray on me Mm -hmm. after each client, just because each client is different, you know, Um, and so you just have to be able to know that there's a practice in being around people who may be sick, or being around people who are negative, whatever it is, you have to come up with your own routine to help you protect your energy. Um, So I do a lot of that work as well, and a lot of meditation, a lot of my uh, daily routines come from meditations and being grounded each day for myself. So it's it's a lot of work, but after a while, it becomes a part of you. So your body yearns for it, you know, it needs it. It's interesting.
0: Um, I don't know if you've seen the the film, um, Judas and the Black Messiah, it just recently.
1: I, I have not seen it yet, is it good?
0: Oh, it's, it's so good, it's so good. Um, mm. And I, I only bring that up because I was watching an interview that, uh, well, there were two different interviews that the two main actors um, did where they were talking about how, portraying these roles and, you know, the studying that they have to do and talking to the family members of those of those figures and mm-hmm. how, you know, after playing the role, some of that energy kind of resides in them and mm-hmm. it brings them, because it's a very sad, um, very sad movie, um, you know, so many emotions but they were talking about how, you know, even after the film has wrapped and it's been, you know, months, you know, after the fact, they're still kind of dealing with that energy. Um, One of the actors said he has to kind of go into seclusion, you know, for a couple months and really just kind of fight and wrestle with with that energy. And it's just, it's just so interesting. Fun fact. So my parents, shout out to mom and dad, they wanted me to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, That was like, you know, all the rage, be a nurse. And I'm like, uh, no. (laughs) Um, But that was because I knew, I knew, I knew I was an empath. You know, Mm -hmm. I knew that I could not handle the emotional
1: heart
0: of healthcare. I said, if I'm going to be in healthcare, I need to be somewhere in the back office. <laughs> you know, yeah. as much as I love engaging with people, I'll do that. But I want to engage with people where it's kind of like, hey, sign this, sign this, you know what I mean? Just very yeah. kind of mm-hmm. quick, usually the happy the happy face at the desk. Um, yes, <laughs> Because I knew, I'm like, there's no way I would I would just be going through it and you know being around so many uh, medical professionals and things and I just they kind of develop this and this is something I've, I've heard for a really long time they just kind of become numb um, or so it appears maybe to so many things because they're in it every day um, there's no escape, you know, a lot of them are working 12 hours, 16 hours, and it's just
1: like, Yeah, Yeah. it's 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 a you know, I I do see that like in a lot of doctors. I think that's one of the reasons why I love the role that I'm in, because I can be me and everything that I've done is just lived experience. Although I will be getting my master's to become a therapist, I um, am I like being the person that bridges the gap to help people find where they fit and to help people take their life back. And that means that I can be me through all of it. And that means that if I'm sitting there and someone is going through a hard time as an empath, it is okay for me to shed tears and to cry with them, to let them know that it's okay to express those emotions. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like um, helping people understand that emotions are temporary, they're not permanent. It helps people walk through it a little bit easier, especially knowing that someone feels what you're feeling you know and then also being able to have the gift of saying but it's not mine to hold Mm. okay and that is where learning that it is not mine to fix has was the other part of my life and the part I needed to conclude what's happening now um and it has made me step into my power and become stronger because of that but I feel that um Sometimes you see so much of it. Um, I, I wouldn't want to just see that nonstop like a doctor either. Uh, but I see it just as much because I'm in it with people, but I'm living a real life with them. Like, it's like day to day, I can watch someone go from up to down to like, woo, how did we make it through that? <laughs> you <know? laughs> And then look it, they make it through it. And I'm like, whoo! that person's got some power, you know? And um, you have to look at it that way because once again, like I said, we only have today. And so it's important to not get wrapped up in the things that seem not so great Mm -hmm. and and stay positive in the things that people are becoming of. That is powerful. And um, it's bigger than me and you when we think of it that way, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so is there s- support for peer support specialists? And what I mean by that is um, an example that I have. There was you know, really, really a terrible experience where a child actually passed away um, in our pediatrics unit. And, mm-hmm. you know, everybody, of course, is just really just feeling it. Um, and there was a woman that came around, and I wish I knew her her job title, um, but mm-hmm. she went around, she came to the pediatric department, and she went to each and every employee, and she said, hey, I know we just, you know, we lost a child, and it's very stressful. Are you okay? Is there mm-hmm. anything you need? What can I do for you? Would you like, you know, some some counseling? You know, would you like some resources? And it was just like, Wow, you know, she gave out hugs, and you know, this is before the yeah. pandemic. But it was just like little things like that, and I just was like, wow, you know. plus that woman. So, is there anything like that um, in place, or is that something that you think, um,
1: you know, I guess could could be incorporated? And so. The cool thing about this is that usually uh, people who we've noticed that become peer recovery support specialists actually had a recovery coach before they became one. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people like, so I have a huge team of sober warriors behind me. Okay. So I have the legs to my table, which is a big piece of what I practice and what I teach to a lot of people. I have a therapist, I have a sponsor, I have a recovery coach myself. And then I also have a huge community of sober people. Okay. The only way I can coach is if I have those elements, because that means I'm doing everything I need to. If I, you know, I've lost some recoveries, you know, some have died um, due to one simple pill, fentanyl, Mm. took them out. Okay. And the first time it happened to me, oh my, I was like, this is enough to make somebody have a reoccurrence to relapse, you know, and thank God, I will say, and um, I give big ups to Springs Recovery Connection where I started. I had so many people to support me because we had made it that way that uh, they, they said, take time off. We're going to do, you know, wellness checks every hour on Sparkle we're going to go see her, we're going to bring her food, because I was mourning, like, I was grieving, like, did I do something wrong? Did I, you know, this was the first time, and I had to really do a lot of uh, prayer and meditation around acceptance, and understanding that 80% of people who deal with alcohol and addiction don't make it, Winifred, Wow, only 20% do, and so, Knowing that and and knowing that this person was five months sober, they chose to take a fentanyl pill, had two kids and it completely took them out and they died instantly. Mm. It's a lot to handle. And so they make sure, you know, and I make sure even with my company that, you know, you are doing what it takes to continue your work on you because you can't stop to try to help everybody else and then something like that happens and you have no supports yourself. You've got to make sure you have those and we make I make that mandatory um, and it, so does Springs Recovery or any other program. We make sure that you have every support you need so that you can move forward while helping others, you know, and you can deal with grief. If you, you know, I had had to deal with grief, but I also had a therapist to help me deal with the grief. See, so I was already prepared for it. Um, And that's a big portion of what we need in anything, not just alcohol and addiction, but to move forward. Do you have supports? Do you have the legs to your table? Could you call somebody right now if you were having an emotional relapse or a breakdown and people come running. And if you don't, ask yourself that question because that is where I help. How do we get you the supports to make sure you move forward even when things don't look so great? You have someone to help you. And I think a lot of that is where for us, we're so used to, any of us, we're used to having that ego up and I can take care of it. But for once, I challenge many to say, do I have a supporting cast? And do I have legs to the table that I can lean on if I really need it? And if you don't, ask yourself that question and get those resources. They're very viable for all of us, mental health-wise, addiction-wise, whatever it may be. Find the people who can support you when needed, always.
0: That's so important. That's so important. I'm so glad that you know you expressed that so so well um because it is important a lot of people think that certain figures whether you know they are um whether oh well, for example i'll just give an example so there was this show and the show was kind of goofy but it was like real preachers of i don't know hollywood probably wasn't hollywood but um one of the preachers or pastors he admitted that he sees a marriage counselor. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he was telling a, a young man who was also married about it. And he was like, wow, you know, being a preacher, we just assume that, you know, you just pray the problems away. And he's just <laughs> like, no, I, I need, you know, we need support, like we need, like don't think just because I'm in this role that you know okay. seemingly has it all figured out, seemingly has it all together. You know, practice what you preach and all that good stuff. But don't assume that we don't have moments um, of darkness or we don't have moments where we need help as yeah. well. Um, so that just kind of reminded me of that that moment on the show. But yes, that's so yeah. true. Everybody needs support. It doesn't matter. And you
1: know, benefit. a a big piece of that was how I was in corporate America. It's all right. I'm good. I'll fix it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another portion, you know, I have lupus. I have a lot of autoimmune conditions. And instead of me saying, I didn't feel well, I'd say it's okay. I'm fine. I'll get through it. And then a week later, I'd be in a crisis mode. See? So this whole ego thing for me had to be adjusted to humility. I had to become humble and say, I cannot do this by myself. I need help. And um, one of the strongest things I can ever say I've ever done is ask for help. As soon as I asked for help, oh my goodness, everything in the world opened up. My eyes had clarity. People opened their arms to me and said, let's get this. And I didn't feel alone, you know? And I think ultimately being, you know, this sister who's got All of these things going and executive, you know, my brothers and sisters, they thought the world of me. And I didn't want to tell them that I had a drinking and drugging problem, right? I didn't want to hurt in that way. But finally, being able to tell them, hey, I've got this ailment. This is what's going on. I have a drinking and drugging problem. I need you guys' help and support. They immediately stood in attention and said, then let's get it. And I did not expect that, but the best thing I could have done for myself is open up and have the courage to change the things I can and also have the courage to say, hey, can somebody come along with me for the ride? And that alone is what people are afraid to do. And I'm here to encourage and say, I'm here to hold space for that because it's not easy, but when you do it, uh, it is like the most amazing thing you could ever experience because people really do come running.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. You are doing just fantastic, um, and very much needed work. You know, I just, I'm just blown away. You know, you have shared so much uh, valuable uh, information with us. And, you know, I really thank you for coming on the podcast and you know just really really blessing us um just a couple more things and then we'll wrap up so what I like to do towards the end um is just play a little game you know kind of switch it up a little bit um and then after the game I'll give you the you know full floor to go ahead and and plug yourself whatever you know website or social media or however people can reach you um so we're gonna hop into this game we're gonna have a little fun are you ready I'm ready. (laughs) All right. So this game I like to call Everything That Sparkles.
1: (laughs) Hey, here we go.
0: (laughs) I'm going to ask you some questions about some, you know, sparkly, twinkly, glittery things. And I want you to kind of, basically you're going to answer the question as best as you can. And it's okay, you know, if it's it's not, you know, whatever. But these are just some, sparkly things that I picked up. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is fun. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Question number one. Name the movie featuring super, superstar singer, Mariah Carey, that many call her only flop. Glitter.
1: Oh, look at you.
0: <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you got it. Um, next question. This is another name for carbonated water
1: uh, s- shoot, um, s- uh, look, <laughs> La- you could call it, La- oh wait, crystallite, no, sparkling crystallite. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much sparkling water. You got it. You got sparkling that one. water. There you go. <laughs> You're
0: good at this. Okay. So for this drink, it is a hundred percent pure carbonated apple juice. um, and there's no sweeteners or preservatives in it. Carbonated apple juice. What is that drink
1: called? Carbonated apple juice. I don't think I've ever heard of that. So <laughs> <laughs> you see me biting my... <laughs> um, carbonated... <laughs> You're going to have to cheat
0: on that one. What is it? (laughs) It's sparkling cider.
1: (laughs) Oh, duh. Oh, come on. I knew that. I was just testing you. I was
0: testing you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question. This famously glittery garment was worn by Michael
1: Jackson. Oh, his glove. All right. You're good at this. Oh, yeah, girl. His glove. You know, he was getting it.
0: In 2012, a classic film was remade starring the late, great Whitney Houston and- Oh, girl.
1: You already know. (laughs) The movie Circle.
0: Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) This jewelry staple is known as the girl's best friend. This. Say it again. <laughs> this jewelry staple is known as a girl's best
1: friend. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. You got it. Okay. All That's all. Right. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and very last question in the game. This one is, is a toughie. You know, this one I, I had to actually like really look into. Um, all right. So the ocean can glow and glitter like the stars in the sky, thanks to a natural chemical process <laughs> known as
1: um <laughs> it's hard. Am- amethyst or Good
0: guess.
1: Um Darn it, I don't know what is that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's called bioluminescence. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was like, what? Because I was thinking, I was like,
0: it's so nice how the ocean will sparkle. And I'm like, is there a term for that? And it's called bioluminescence. Now, if I would have answered that, you
1: probably would have passed out. Like, how
0: did she know? Right. I would have been like, "Uh uh-uh, she Googling. (laughs) She on
1: there over there Googling on her phone, (laughs) bioluminescence.
0: Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, you did fantastic on that game. Um, Thank you so much for playing. That was cool. (laughs) And now we're going to go ahead and wrap up, but I'm just going to give you the last, you know, minute or so to let the people know how can they find you? How can they connect with you? Where can you be reached?
1: Yes. Well, I, once again, I own a company, Sparkle, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. That is the name of my YouTube channel. So I do about a video once or twice a week on, um, just giving you some time to shine with sparkle time. So if you get a chance, check out some of the podcasts that I've been guest on and so forth and some motivation. I also have a Facebook page uh, under Sparkle the Light at the End of the Tunnel. I answer those messages uh, religiously. So if there's something that you wanna talk about, something that's on your mind, uh, if you need some help, resources, I am here for that. And uh, I do answer the messenger messages on Facebook. I also have an Instagram under Sparkle Lindsay. Um, I do listen to the answer those messages as well. And I also have an email, sparkle 2 at gmail.com. Uh, that is the number two. And uh, I also have a LinkedIn under Sparkle Lindsay. So if you put in my information through Google, you'll find everything. <laughs> in the world about me. It looks like I Googled myself today, by the way. And uh, I was like, wow. (laughs) Um, But ultimately I am here to hold space for anybody that needs it. Here to listen and here to help you find or help you take your life back if needed as well. So do not hesitate to contact me in any way, shape or form even if it's to become a recovery coach as well. We can always get you started, okay?
0: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. And I have one more question. It just came to me. Did you uh-huh. ever ask um, your parents where the name Sparkle came from? Like what yes. was the decision behind that?
1: So the decision came behind it because my mother watched the first Sparkle movie uh-huh. in the seventies, And, uh, you know, In Vogue really started with them. But my mom said that she was going to name her first child Sparkle. So when I finally got was born, my grandmother wanted to name me Misty, but my dad said when I was born, my eyes sparkled, and they knew from there oh. they, my name was going to be Sparkle. So that's what I am now, and I'm okay with it. You know, I love it. It's beautiful.
0: uh, And you are sparkling, like you're sparkling (laughs) all over the world. Like you are the sparkle that is, you know, bring, like you said, the, the light, you know what I mean? Like bringing people light. So it's very fitting, very fitting.
1: Thank you so much. And I just want to say to you, thank you so much for holding space for me and allowing me to be able to to share what I do with you. And God, you had wonderful questions. I was, we was rolling, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No, no, this
0: has been, this has been such an amazing episode. And I know that people are really going to gain a lot from it and be inspired. And, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it all right thank you so much powerful stuff y'all powerful stuff it's just amazing the power of words you know I always thought about what it would be like to talk a person off of a ledge That might sound a bit extreme but I know you've all heard those stories of, you know, somebody who was ready to to end it all and somebody was able to talk to them, to get their attention. Somebody was able to listen to that person in a manner that wasn't threatening, in a manner that made them want to fight for their life. It's, it's incredible, so... Amazing, amazing, amazing. Shout out to Sparkle. And that's going to be it for the episode. So thank you so much for coming by and listening. And I have another interview that's going to be done this month that I'm looking forward to. And then we're going to go ahead and wrap up the month. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to try and fit in another special or not. I have a little something on my mind, but I might push it until May. But But yes, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for supporting the podcast. And as I said, take care of yourself. Bye.